You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hello, America, and welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Web. Radio.com, neither rain nor sleet nor snow will stop us from bringing you the best in programming. We uh, got a great show today, folks. Um, sometimes I like to hold the segment free just in case some breaking news happens and... Uh, I uh, got a little, um, it won't be an echo chamber, put it that way, today at 2.15 p.m. Our friend John Richards from PeachPundant.com has pinned a dissenting opinion to uh, House Bill 224 and a couple other bills that are currently going on in the Georgia session. House Bill 224 is what I have called the Taxicab Monopoly Protection Act. Myself and several other uh, reputable. I am a man of ill repute, but I am joined in my disdain for this bill by several other reputable news sources, including the AJC, Insider Advantage, Jason Pye from Freedom Works, among many others. Mr. Richards has wrote a dissenting opinion, and I look forward to discussing the bill with him. That's what this country's all about, folks, is having a civil discussion, a civil debate, civil discourse, and talking through our problems. And if it doesn't work out, then we'll just have a duel afterwards. I'm kidding. I don't really have. Can a, I be your second? <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know if I. Uh, I don't know if I have my uh, my samurai sword quite ready yet. But uh, and then we'll switch gears. We'll go on to the national stage with our friend David Johnson, a uh, nationally renowned uh, political consultant. We'll be talking about the fray for. Republican presidential candidate, uh, Rand Paul was in town yesterday, so the, uh, candidates are already making rounds. Um, do you know anything about Rand Paul? Well, uh, not a whole lot. I mean, lot the, his, you know, his dad is Ron yeah, Paul. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But, uh, you know, he did something yesterday, or not yesterday, I guess it was a couple of days ago, and he's trying to promote that he should, in Kentucky, be able to run for his Senate seat, as well as for president, at the same time. Uh, I, I don't. I, I, I haven't. I haven't seen that story. I, I think that's BS. He, no, no, no. I mean, he, no, no. He I, I, I believe he wants to. Yeah. I just think it's BS. I, I think you pick one. Yeah, yeah. Either you're going to. I mean, for you Senate go all you in. Run. You don't say. Although, well, I guess this was a little different. Paul Ryan was uh, appointed as VP. Because he was able to stay on the ballot. Technically, he wasn't running with Romney and Ryan. He was the VP on the ticket. But he was able to concurrently run uh, for his Congress seat. And I remember people were making fun of that because they said, well, you don't really have much confidence, do you, Paul? Because he was actually campaigning for Congress at the same time. So. Well, I, I, but I have a big problem with that, David. Personally, yeah, I do too. You either you either want it or you don't. And if uh, yeah, you don't hedge by saying just yeah. in case it doesn't work out. Um, I, I guess the deadline. You know, you'd have to look at individual states to see what. Basically, it's whenever you have to qualify. Because here in Georgia, obviously, this past cycle we had several congressional reps, and they all all of them stayed in it. Um, there was some. Uh, rumors that maybe a couple of them might drop out and just try to stick in their congressional houses. That was when we had Kingston, Gingry, uh, and, and Paul Brown that were all in the U.S. Congress and Kingston and uh, David Perdue. Now, Senator David Perdue made it to the runoff and um, the District 11 and 10 now. And um, in, in Kingston's seat, all have brand new congressmen up in D.C. right now. But they all basically had to make a choice on qualification day to either stick with it. They had been running for Senate for over a year, 
but they had to qualify at that point in time. So I guess uh, I'd have to look at Kentucky's specific laws, but I, uh, I I don't think they should be changing laws and qualifications just because somebody has higher office whims. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so that's uh, that's my two cents worth. I, I you know, he's I like a lot of what uh, he says. Yep. And but there are some things that really stick in my throat as well. So. I, uh, you know, I agree with him on uh, his stance on Cuba. Him and Rubio have been jousting about that. Obviously, Rubio, being uh, of, of Cuban-American descent, is going to be uh, as bellicose as possible, talking about how bad Castro is. And I think he sees that um, that is a nice uh, – it's a vulnerability for Rand Paul, who I will give Rand Paul credit. He's one of the only Republicans that's come out and said, yeah, 54 years of this embargo hasn't worked. Maybe we do need a change of direction. So credit to Ron Paul. Uh, it's, it's certainly – it was predictable on Rubio's part. And you've got to look at those two as being senators that were elected during the same cycle as them both having – they really haven't done much in the U.S. Senate. They're, they are both fairly charismatic. Um, which means they have a they have a national presence now. Rand Paul is obviously able to uh, pick up a lot of support from his father, but Rand Paul has certainly moderated a little bit on his uh, foreign affairs stance. His his father was clearly a non-interventionist, kind of stick your head in the sand and hope bad things don't happen. We I don't think we live in that world, which was why a lot of folks had issues with Ron Paul. Do you? Uh have you had any issues over the past six years about uh, Mr. Obama's qualifications to be president? Or you do know, you have any reservations about? If so, do you have reservations about Rubio and Cruz? Um, I don't have I, I don't have any reservations about their eligibility for president because I think uh, Cruz was. Maybe born in Canada or something, and then Rubio does. Was he born? He was born in the U.S., wasn't he? He was born in the U.S., but his father wasn't a citizen at the time. Okay, so I mean, they they both would have similar arguments. That um, I mean, we we don't know where Obama was born. That's I, mean, I agree with that. <laughs> it, it allegedly, Hawaii. we don't know where he went. To allegedly, school. Hawaii. My, my biggest concern with Obama is, you know, clearly this birth certificate issue is is a non-issue. The 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 mainstream media would much rather lambast uh, Governor Scott Walker for not finishing college than do any real research on Obama. But again, that's kind of barking up the wrong tree, in my opinion. What people should really be concerned at is is who Obama's mentors were growing up. Frank Marshall Davis, his communist mom, Valerie Jarrett's. The son of was born in Iran and and and, and um, also a communist. Uh, well, follow Van Jones I'm, is a communist. So he, what I'm he, getting at is the goose and the gander. What's good for the goose? Good for the, okay. I, I mean, are you yeah. are you saying that 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 disqualifies those two? In your opinion? In my opinion, uh, okay. Cruz was born in Canada, and again, his father was not an American citizen. Uh, Rubio was born in the United States. But, again, his father was not an American citizen at the time of his birth. And, you know, the, the Constitution is very clear. And I, I've been appalled at our Congress and our congressmen and congresswomen that have not taken up the issue with Obama. He is not a natural-born citizen, nor is Cruz, nor is Rubio. And, I, you know, whether I like him or dislike him, 
and like their policies or their thoughts or don't like them, facts are, you know, we're opening. If if they if they can get a law changed, if they can change the amend the Constitution mm-hmm. to say anybody walking, breathing, and has their legal documentation from crossing the border can be president, that's fine. Okay. But if they can't, then everybody should be cooked under the same broiler. And I think Obama should be fried. <laughs> Are you saying that you're consistent, David? That is incredible to hear that we're actually consistent in some of our arguments. That I mean, I that I, I can agree with that. If somebody's consistent in it, then uh, and I'm not a constitutional scholar. Obama claims he is. I think we would all differ in was, our, our was, opinions of that. He was not a professor. He was a <laughs> friggin' teacher. Not much more than you he and me and our degrees. He was a propagandist, if you will. Um, speaking of Obama and, and Obamacare, I did want to talk, touch on this just briefly, David. You've heard me for more than three years on the show talk about all my predictions for Obamacare. And now that the penalty or tax or mandate or whatever you want to call it is finally coming into play, guess what? The Democrats, it's, it's laughable. The Democrats now say it is too onerous for these poor people to have to pay this. So they want to extend the, the deadline for this year's Obamacare was February 15th, which, which is the Sunday after Valentine's Day. So, and your so, president was making a, uh, a little The little selfies. Selfie the, 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 that, that selfie thing just diminished the office of the presidency. I mean, I think I'm going to write a, a, another column called The Selfie President. Um, but that, that, that's another story right now. What we're seeing right now is three high level Democrats are saying we need to extend this deadline more. This damn bill has been on the books for five years to tell, to, to, to honestly incredibly say that people weren't aware of the taxes no, 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 and no, the penalties. No, no, that, that was Pelosi's line, wasn't it? Uh, pass it and then we'll then read we'll it find and, out and then we're so now we're finding out we're reading it and saying well son of a gun I didn't yep. realize that but now the Democrats are realizing that it's hitting their own voter base far harder because people are doing the math on it and when you're deductible David sixty five hundred dollars and your payments two hundred a month maybe you're getting um, the taxpayers to subsidize a hundred of it you're still paying a hundred dollars. A month for the chance to for for the opportunity to pay six thousand dollars before you get any coverage, that's a sucker's bet there. And I mean, but but people are starting to do that math. They're realizing pretty quickly once a hundred dollars starts going out of their check, David. Once once their account gets automatically debited debited by the the Department of Human Health and Services or whatever they call it. Healthcare.gov, if you will. Once they see healthcare.gov debiting their account every month, <laughs> and they see, holy crap, that hundred dollars, I could have bought anything except for this healthcare that I'm really not getting anything out of, since I'll only be paying twelve hundred dollars per year, still needing forty eight hundred dollars to reach my six thousand dollar deductible. What do you think they're going to be canceling first? You think they're going to cancel cable or their cell phone first? But Probably the healthcare.gov payment. The thing though is, if you're a, a, a male. You get pregnancy coverage too, but that's that's you great know, in case uh, I uh, you know. run into some radiation and and grow ovaries. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's such a good plan. Oh, it's a great plan. No, and it's even it's it's and it's really good for seventy year old women who who now can get their pregnancy coverage too. Yeah, oh yeah. The, the postmenopausal woman who can now. Cover her pregnancy. She will sleep better <laughs> at night. I, I will, and, and as do I, knowing that if I get knocked up, then I'm covered. 
I'm not going there. <laughs> I hope nobody does. <laughs> you know, but th- this is the... But so we've got Schumer and Levin and a couple other of these uh, Democrats, and these guys were very vociferous about passing it. Pelosi was the infamous one that said, we've got to pass it to find out what's in it. But these guys were one, Sanders Levin from, I think he's from Michigan, but now all of them are complaining that their constituents, the poor, poor people that voted for for this monstrosity, are now going to have to pay for it a little bit. You know, now, I, I mean, it, it's laughable. I don't think Republicans should be complicit in fixing this thing. We need to have it hit every person. So there will be a, a, a massive cry out to repeal this bill. I, let me tell you something, Democrats. Republicans have voted... 60 times to repeal the bill. Why don't y'all jump on the bandwagon with us? And let's repeal this thing. Well, you know, I, I got to, moving on a little bit. I, there are two things that I want to bring up, and then you can get back to your game plan. One is the, some of the best news I heard was that the Black Caucus is not going to be attending Netanyahu's uh, speech in Congress. And... Uh, <clears throat> You couldn't pay for something better than that. Those idiots would have made such a fool of themselves anyway that uh, it's just, I'm glad they're not attending. Power to them. I hope they're out uh, doing whatever they do to make themselves fools. And I hope John Lewis doesn't get his lips stuck to a mirror or something somewhere, you know, kissing it. The other the other bit of news that uh, I mentioned, did you want to mention that about that Harf? harf? Marie Harf, the secretary, the spokesperson. Yeah, you, you know, you knew a little bit more about that than I did, about giving that all ISIS needs is a little bit of uh, job creation. And they just need jobs. <laughs> they're, they're poor. They, they haven't been treated right in life. And, you know, the, the State Department just wants to give them jobs and everything will be fine. They won't be out cutting anybody's throat or cutting any heads off. <laughs> Burning people? Or burning people. They'll be at your local Dairy Queen serving you a hamburger. I think we need a hashtag campaign for that, David. Um, Hashtag hire ISIS. Yeah. Would you think that'll work? I mean, like like hashtag don't burn people, hashtag stop being mean to people. I mean, all those other ones that the White House has rolled out to try to combat uh, Islamic terrorists have worked really, really well. Let's let's do hashtag hire ISIS. As I mentioned earlier, I know... Charles would probably be thrilled to. <laughs> Never mind. We're going to go ahead and take our uh, 215 break, uh, or, and uh, we'll be back with John Richards from PeachPundit.com to talk a little local politics that I believe does actually uh, represent a microcosm of what Republicans should or should not stand for. We'll be back in a couple minutes with uh, John Richards from Peach Pundit. Thanks. The disease of addiction <clears throat> is a life altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Webradio.com. We are always excited to have a non echo chamber, which uh, today we would like to provide dissenting opinions on uh, some bills. We're going to get local. State of Georgia is uh, in their legislative session right now. Basically, lawmakers go to session for 40 days and I guess it's 40 days and 39 nights and um, try to spend about $21 billion of your money. With us on the line right now is John Richards from PeachPundit.com. John wrote a uh, a pretty lengthy piece uh, about uh, House Bill 224 and a couple of other ones right now, which basically are ways to uh, look at some of these new transportation services such as Uber and Lyft and how they fit into the paradigm of other transportation services, whether to regulate them or not. I look at some of these issues as a microcosm of what Republicans should and should not be doing. John Richards, welcome to Greg's List. How are you? I'm doing real well, Greg. How are you this afternoon? Man, I am uh, I am fired up. That first segment got me really excited. And uh, now I've got to calm down a little bit and have a rational debate with uh, with a friend of mine who just has a descending opinion on uh, what House Bill 224 and what its real goals are. John, I want to let you uh, take the floor for a few minutes. Tell us about your take on it, your opinion on it. I know you interviewed the, uh, the lead sponsor, the guy who probably wrote most of the bill, Mr. Alan Powell from Hart. Well, Georgia, so I'll go ahead and let you uh, give your opening argument, and then I'll chime in when necessary. All right, that sounds good. Sure. Uh, there, there's a bill uh, introduced by Alan Powell of Hartwell that uh, attempts to differentiate a little bit between the various types of uh, transportation options that are out there. And when I say transportation uh, options, I, I include the traditional taxi cabs, I include limousines, and I include ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft. <clears throat> and while all three of them, you know, are going to get you from point A to point B, admittedly they're going to charge a different fare or may have a different way of, of uh, measuring uh, how, how much to charge you a taxi meter or, or charging in advance or flat rate, uh, they all uh, are, are essentially performing the same things. And what this bill does is attempts to differentiate them a little bit and indicate what uh, what can be done with, uh, let's say, in a taxi versus what can be done with rideshare versus what can be done in a limo. So, for instance, uh, many of you are probably pretty familiar with the idea of medallions, or sometimes they're called certificates of necessity, 
which uh, in the city of Atlanta, if you want to drive a taxi, you have to have a medallion. The medallion runs about $72,000 right now, and uh, and that is a requirement to, to run a taxi. Same thing in New York and Washington, most of the other larger cities. What this bill does is it grandfathers in those medallions for Atlanta taxis, but it specifically says the medallion system will not apply to ride-sharing services like Uber, and it says no other city uh, or county can set up a medallion system. So it's it's defining what can be done there. Uh, as far as doing uh, or, or putting some requirements on Uber and Lyft and ride-sharing services, yeah, it does kind of does three things that I was able to pick out uh, from, from talking to the bill's author and, and reading the bill myself. One of them uh, has to do with insurance requirements. And uh, there's naturally a concern if, if uh, somebody is going to be going out and, and riding in, in, in a vehicle, you want to make sure you have insurance in case you get into an accident. And what this bill, uh, or actually this would be in Bill 190, which is the insurance uh, committee's version of the bill, says if you're if you're actually carrying the passenger you got a million dollars worth of insurance and if you're just uh riding around uh, waiting to pick up a, a passenger or maybe you're to and from uh where you heard that the passenger needed to be picked up and you're arriving there you need to have three hundred thousand dollars worth of insurance and uh, oddly enough that appears to be pretty close to what uh, uber and certainly lyft have right now is just codifying that that is necessary and it's also by the way applying those requirements uh, to taxicab and and, uh, and limousine services. The other thing that uh, the bill's author wanted to make sure is that uh, whoever is going to be driving these uh, vehicles, whether it be taxicabs or or rideshare services, is is not a criminal. And in his mind, the only way you can uh, have a good sense of whether the person is going to be a criminal or not would be to run their information through the National Crime Information Center database. And uh, so the bill mandates that uh, every person who is going to drive a taxi or a rideshare service or a limousine have a uh, essentially an endorsement on their driver's license that says they've been uh, through this background check process and, and is okay. And then the third thing that they did in the bill was there's been a, a long-time uh, law on the books that says uh, transportation services, taxis, limousines, <coughs> uh, whatever, have to pay a sales tax uh, on their transactions and then remit that to the state much as any other vendor would need to do. What they decided to do was to get rid of the sales tax and replace it with a $300 annual decal fee, the thinking being if you did, oh, say about $4,000 uh, worth of, uh, of business in a taxi, that would be the equivalent of a 7% sales tax that you collect. You do more than $4,000, obviously you're paying less. So those are really the three major components that I saw in the bill, and uh, I just don't see how this goes ahead and attempts to destroy ride-sharing services, which is kind of what I've heard in some of the popular press. Right, and um, I guess I'm mixed in with that uh, popular press, which uh, I, I penned an article uh, about a week and a half ago, and then uh, it was it, it took a couple of the segments out of the bill that I think that this will be where we have this the main conflict here, John, and that is sure. the definition uh, of transportation referral service. Now, when you look at mm-hmm. the bill, 
it, it, when you when you're reading the bill, it, it redefines things, it codifies things. It's it's fairly confusing. It, it's got to be like teaching Nancy Pelosi how to play chess. So it's it's fairly confusing right now. It redefines things. It, if you look at their definition of transportation referral service, I mean, I think it's actually a hell of an explanation for what Uber and Lyft do by using technology and the internet and, and, and uh, GPS locators to refer transportation. So that's one of the issues that I see. Second issue I see that I have a big problem with is protecting this taxi medallion system, which which caused companies like Uber and Lyft and Sidecar and others out in California to manifest because the barriers of entry to even purchase a medallion is more than $70,000 and the city of Atlanta isn't even issuing anymore right now. And what this does, folks, is if you pick up a cab in Buckhead or, or downtown Atlanta and you take it to Dunwoody and the taxi cab company hasn't kissed the ring of city of Dunwoody or DeKalb County, that cab can't pick up anybody in Dunwoody and they got to drive all the way back to where they uh, where they may be licensed according to this archaic medallion system uh, the and John one of the points that you think is a good thing I would argue is just an expansion of government power by saying that oh any new cities or uh, municipalities that would like to license cabs can't do that with this bill so I mean what do you say to those issues I just brought up well I, I guess uh, pick up on a couple things first of all the medallion system, uh, I think this bill attempts to get rid of uh, future instances of the medallion system, so you're leaning in that direction. The question is, if <clears throat> well, let's look at what the bill's authors could have done, which would have been to somehow say, you know, any medallion systems used in Georgia or certificates of uh, necessity are hereby invalid and worth nothing, okay, and are outlawed. If you would have said that, you would have taken the investment that these companies had put into the medallions and essentially declared them... Uh, useless or, or worth nothing. And while you can certainly make an argument that at some point down the road, uh, transportation referral services or trans, net, excuse me, transportation networking, uh, tra- ride sharing services, that's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> will someday take over and perhaps destroy the taxi services. It's going to be due to competition, not due to some over regulating government hand coming in and saying, your medallions aren't worth anything anymore. Okay. The other the other thing you pointed out, and this was a question I had, is what's the definition of a transportation referral service or a transportation referral service provider? And there's a, a paragraph or a couple paragraphs in the bill that I quoted in the Peach Pundit post that you can read if you go over to peachpundit.com that talks about what transportation referral service providers must do. And... I went and I talked to uh, Powell, who's the uh, author of the bill, and I asked him if that, if, if that name applies to Uber or Lyft, especially because they had already gone ahead and, and defined transfer, uh, they'd already gone ahead and defined those as ride-sharing services. So try to figure out where that goes. And, and Powell said, no, what these guys are, there's a, a transportation referral service, which is something like, uh, or somebody who would refer customers to people who actually uh, provide rides. Okay, so think of that. That's kind of like what Uber and Lyft do, though, John. Well, no, no. I, I think of it more this way: that this is uh, somebody like a a, a hotel uh, a doorman or a uh, a concierge. Somebody comes in and says, "You know, I need uh, I need a, a ride tonight to take me down to X Y Z and take me back and you get me a limo." 
the concierge is going to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're actually contracting and working with the limo service in this case, could be a taxi, um, and a transportation referral service provider kind of does the same thing, except they also have their own vehicles. And the what I was told by the bill's author, basically what they're trying to do here is to make sure that, again, using our travel agent who's setting up uh, limousines or, or taxis or the or the uh, hotel person or you know whoever it may be that they're working with uh, companies that are actually licensed to do business. And apparently, you know, again in the limo business, I might have my own limo company. I've got five cars. Okay, right. and uh, you call me and you need a ride somewhere, and all my five cars are booked for that evening. So okay, fine. I'm going to go ahead and call. Uh, you know, go ahead and call my friend Will, uh, who also has a car service. He's got two that are open, so I'm going to refer you to Will. So you're happy. Will's happy. You know, that's kind of the way business works. And again, that would be the transportation referral service provider. Well, John, I, I guess I guess Go if ahead. we can, uh, we're going to run up to the end of the segment. But uh, I'm glad that you were able to have uh, a few minutes to explain uh, your interpretation of it. I think what we're going to have to do is just make sure that there are specific definitions that, that codify this a little bit more and that would specifically say it. Because I've, you know, I'm joined by Insider Advantage, the AJC, FreedomWorks, and and when I read it, I look at it as it. A way to put Uber and Lyft. You've been assured by Alan Powell, who uh, has received four to five thousand dollars in contributions from the taxi cab. That this bill is not from the taxi cab cartel. That this bill is not designed to put Uber and Lyft out of business. So anyway, you wrote a good piece, PeachPundit.com. Check it out, John Richards. I know you're probably down at the Capitol now, so make sure we yep. get an update of uh, what happens. Thanks for calling in, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this bill going forward. Okay, thank you, Greg. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism on America's Web Radio.com. We just heard from John Richards at PeachPundit.com, who wrote a, uh, a dissenting opinion from what uh, several other uh, reputable organizations, and me, myself, a man of ill repute, if you will, was one of the first out of the gate to chastise House Bill 224 and some of its companion bills. We won't, uh, we haven't heard the last of that bill, but uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit, talk about the national. National scene. Our friend David Johnson from Strategic Vision LLC, a nationally renowned political consultant, pollster, public relations. Anything else I left out there, David? No, I think you pretty much covered everything. Awesome. <laughs> that is like that. I think that would even fit in a 140 character or less tweet. <laughs> but, uh, it probably would. You're doing great, Greg. <laughs> well, cool. Well, anyway, welcome back to the show. We've had you on a few times. I like to get your perspective on some of the national things, at least uh, having you on once a month. Because we are seeing things uh, shake out a little bit. And I've noticed you're, you've been writing a little bit about Scott Walker, the uh, possibility that he's peaking too soon, uh, some of these other candidates and Paul was in town yesterday for uh, for an event uh, in, in Buckhead. So some of these guys are certainly making the rounds. And um, earlier in the show, David talked about uh, uh, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and uh, a little bit of their eligibility stuff. But what do you think about their chances? What do you think about a senator's chances for the Republican nominee versus several of these governors that are, are definitely in as well? I think this time, especially after uh, Barack Obama... I think we're going to see, on the Republican side at least, the Republicans put up a governor. Governors have had better track records as far as getting elected to office, or former governors have. And I definitely think right now the potential is probably going to be either a current serving governor or an ex-governor. And this Republican field is probably going to be one of the largest in recent history. Uh, where we have between 20 to 25 candidates. Of course, not all of them are serious, but some are, you know, running to get their name out for a future run. Some are running for a VP spot or a cabinet post. But even with the serious candidates, we have anywhere between 10 to 15 serious candidates. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, I just named a couple of the senators. You have Rubio, Rand Paul, um... What was the other senator? Uh, you have Governor Huck, former Governor Huckabee. I don't think we should still call him governor anymore. He hadn't been governor of Arkansas for a while. Mike Huckabee of Fox News. Well, he's not even from Fox News anymore, but uh, he's uh, on a book tour right now, so we can think of him as either serious or not. Uh, we have Mike um, or John Kasich from Ohio, Mike Pence from Indiana, my favorite right now, Scott Walker from Wisconsin. Who else am I leaving out? Well, I mean, you got, of course, Jeb Bush, the former governor of Florida, Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, Rick Snyder, we're hearing talk about him, the governor of Michigan. If he runs, I think it'll be more a favorite uh, son position. Uh, you have George Pataki, the ex-governor of New York, who's been hitting uh, New Hampshire and Iowa very heavily. Uh, then you also have, two uh, some long shots. you got uh, Bill Halsam. He's the governor of Tennessee, and there's been mention of him, Chris Christie. I mean, the 800-pound gorilla for the establishment in more ways than one. <laughs> Bobby Jindal, the governor of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, you got Dr. Ben Carson, who, while he's not a governor, is very well organized in Iowa and I think is going to surprise a lot of people. Carly Fiorina, the former HP CEO, she's looking definitely to run. Will probably be the only uh, female candidate. Uh, then you got uh, some really long shots, Bob Ehrlich, the former congressman and then governor 
from Maryland, Jim Gillimore, the former governor of Virginia. I mean, we're going to have a very strong presidential field. And Ted Cruz, too, we forgot him from the Senate. Uh, but we're really going to have a shaking out, I think. But the question is right now, I don't think we're going to come out of the first three uh, contests with any clear winner or front runner, because I think it'll go in various directions. Now, I know Scott Walker has been a favorite of yours. I like him a lot, too, but I think he's peaking too early. If you look at the last cycle, if you look actually going all the way back to uh, 1964, the candidate who is usually the media darling in the beginning, everyone talks about having all the great buzz, mm-hmm. fizzles out before the first primary. Mm. Well, that's what, and the other thing is too, he's getting a lot of a lot of uh, hits in Wisconsin, not from Democrats but from Republicans. The state legislature feels that he's really not advocating a uh, visionary conservative platform anymore. He's really basically just uh, standing pat, letting the legislature do everything. And then too, Ron Johnson, the U.S. senator from Wisconsin, Republican U.S. senator is quite upset because Scott Walker is basically telling everyone in Wisconsin to donate to his presidential campaign and forget Ron Johnson's senatorial campaign. Things like that, I think, are due to his organization, but they need to straighten some of this stuff out for him to be viable as we continue. Yeah, well, again, that's a little bit of growing pains. What I would look at is the fact that, in my opinion, Scott Walker is is vetted, which I, I think is a very important trait for any Republican to have. You, know, you found you saw Romney just get thrown through the, the gutter. They were able to dig up some of these companies that uh, apparently his vulture capitalism had uh, torn through. Um, and, and, and But Scott Walker's been through three elections in the past four years in a difficult state, and especially during the recall when the unions were against him. So to me, you know, all they've got against him right now is that he didn't finish college. So... Uh, Oh, exactly. And look, that's not going to hurt him in a Republican primary. The attacks on Scott Walker about his education level, that's more geared toward the general election. What they're hoping to do is try to make him sound, and I'm using this phrase, too dumb to be president. Uh, Democrats did that back in uh, 1964 with Barry Goldwater, who didn't go to college. And sadly, it does carry some weight with... uh, independent-leaning voters mm. who feel that, you know, you have to have a college education to be president. Where that idea ever came, I don't know. Harry Truman, who's a Democratic icon, never graduated college. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, is I, I don't know what the college uh, graduate percentage is now, but uh, as far as populism goes, especially on an economic basis, the um, I don't know if a four-year degree is going to make that much of a difference. Um, what, I would, what I would definitely hope Scott does not try to do is try to get an honorary degree somewhere and try to pass that off. I think he's been... No, he's actually to- not. What he's doing, and I know this from people <laughs> that I know in Wisconsin, is he is working on finishing up his degree at Marquette where he had attended before. And the one thing Scott Walker has going for him that the only other two candidates really have right now is he's got one of the strongest donor lists in the country. Uh, Having run three times, he can raise money, he can compete against a Chris Christie or a Jeb Bush. And those two I'm not advocating, but the one thing they have going for them is they can raise a lot of money. And this campaign... Besides a grassroots organization and a message, 
you're going to need money to compete. Well, you know, we had Chris Christie infamously bro-hugging Jerry Jones, and Sarah Palin was uh, taking some pictures on the Saturday Night Live red carpet with uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton. So I'm not imagining either of those uh, narratives are going to help either of those. Uh, Palin has got to be looked at as somebody that's probably just out for an attention grab. I mean, she's... Look, the dream (laughs) ticket for Democrats that Republicans could nominate is not going to happen, but the dream ticket would be Donald Trump and Sarah Palin. <laughs> you just you just you created a legitimate LOL there with with our whole studio David. Yeah, no, that would be that I mean that would be an Sarah amazing Sarah Palin t- is not a serious presidential contender. <clears throat> but what we're seeing too and this is what we have to realize is going on, on the Republican side and don't why we don't need to give attention to the Sarah Palins and Donald Trumps. You've got several primaries going on right now. You've got the primary between Chris Christie and Jeb Bush. Who's going to be the establishment choice? Then you've got the evangelical primary. Then you've got the more traditional uh, conservative primary where uh, Scott Walker is leading right now. And then all to himself, you have the libertarian primary with right. Rand Paul. Right. And, and But Rand, you've got you've to agree, is getting a lot more mainstream appeal. Ron Paul certainly had that 5 to 10 percent um, of the base, and they were certainly the ones that showed up in, in the caucus-type um, scenarios. But he, he had a very passionate base. I think Rand Paul has expanded that significantly, basically because he doesn't have the kind of hot stick your head in the sand and hope bad stuff doesn't happen internationally. He hasn't professed that uh, nearly as much as his, his father espoused. No, and I also believe, too, he learned from some of his father's mistakes. The question for Rand Paul is how to convince Republican voters that he isn't just a smarter, more eloquent version of his father. That's his (laughs) challenge right now. Rand Paul, though, has the potential to reach out to young voters and also African Americans. He's one of the only serious presidential candidates who's really going out and speaking among African American groups trying to win them over to his philosophy. Yeah, and uh, and I did preface the show with he's one, been one that's come out that has supported opening uh, up relations with Cuba, which uh, interested to see what your perspective on that is. I, I don't think we've talked about that. I certainly am open to, to doing something that changes the 54-year uh, failed embargo, and I think it, it actually gives Republicans a really good chance to lead since Obama's announcement was basically half measures. Republicans can actually take the, the onus on this and say, look, we are going to mandate that you make these changes. We're sure as hell not giving up Guantanamo Bay. And, and then maybe we'll talk about lifting the embargo. Do, do you see an opportunity for the GOP in this? I see an opportunity. I will <laughs> say this. Does something have to be done with relations with Cuba? Yes. But the way that Barack Obama handled it made Munich in 1938 look like a diplomatic triumph. Because basically Barack Obama gave the Castro brothers everything they wanted and got nothing in return. The other thing that's been very unreported is Raul Castro gave a speech saying that there were additional things he wanted from Mm -hmm. the United States before relations could be completely normalized. And we know, you and I know, Barack Obama is going to cave in and give that to them. The other thing that bothers me with the way that the Obama administration handled it is I think it gave people in North Korea, people in Iran, even Vladimir Putin... The idea that, hey, in the next two years, I can make up my wish list, whatever I want, this guy's going to give to me. Look how he uh, caved into the Castro brothers. 
Yeah, well, and that's the thing, though, David. I mean, again, Obama's half measures don't really do a whole lot. You're right. The, Raul Castro used it as a uh, as a as an excuse to make a, a propagandized speech. Is that a word? Propagandized speech? I think it is. If not, that's one that we just coined here. Um, and, and well, I mean, Greg, you and I know. I mean, you're a business guy. You work in mortgages. I work uh, with clients all the time. You and I know when you enter into negotiations with anyone. There's got to be some give and take with Barack Obama. It was all give and no take. <laughs> yeah, well, again, he's the modern day Neville. Ch- I mean, he is a he is a terrible negotiator. I mean, I hey, don't insult Neville Chamberlain. At least he <laughs> finally drew the line at Poland. We know Barack Obama. Uh- he draws I, the line and then erases it. I almost think it, Obama's been like part of the Atlanta Braves front office making all these trades. I mean, I don't know if he's had his fingers in that. I either. know, and what's frightening, <laughs> and I think this is where the Democrats could run into trouble, is what trade is he going to make with Iran? We had John Kerry walking and talking to their foreign minister, <laughs> uh, and then it came out this week that yet another letter has gone between Barack Obama and the Supreme Leader. Let's not forget, there were three countries Barack Obama said he wanted to visit before he left office. Cuba, which I think we're going to see happen, mm-hmm. Iran, and then North Korea. And that's frightening. And if I were a Democrat, I would be worried, especially with Iran. That means she's going to give up Israel's security. That hurts them with the Jewish vote yep. in some of these critical states. And the one thing no Democrat wants to run is weak on national security. Look what uh, George McGovern and the legacy of the uh, Vietnam War and then Jimmy Carter did to the Democrats for over 20-some years. Well, David, let's take our uh, 245 break. I wanted to uh, talk about the Democrat side. I don't know if it's all in for Hillary yet or not. There's some other names floating out there. wanted to get your opinion on what the Democrat ticket may look like uh, in 2016. If you can hold on a couple minutes, we'll return with uh, David Johnson on Greg's List. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Do you like plants and gardening? Come and join me, Kate Copsey, the host of the Master Gardener Hour, where we talk all things to do with the gardens at 11 a.m. every Saturday morning right here on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. 
Support USJF as they support you. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's is Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Joined with us by David Johnson from Strategic Vision, talking a little bit about the uh, national scene. It's... Uh, the, the, the presidential race has already started in earnest. Clearly, uh, on the Republican side, we got a lot of folks, and I hate to call it a clown car, but some of the folks that we've mentioned are a little on the clownish side. There are certainly some gubernatorial and uh, current senators that I would consider front runners. I wanted to talk about the Democrat side a little bit. Because we are seeing a lot of names pop up on theirs. And who would duck? Hillary Clinton, I think, is obviously the front runner there. But there are some that are dissatisfied with her. I think she's got a terrible record to run on. I mean, the, the Middle East is in chaos. International relations are uh, not going very well. And she was Secretary of State that presided over much of this turmoil. Uh, David, what say you about her and the record that she would be running on? Oh, I agree. And the other thing is, too, look. Voters are going to be looking for change from Barack Obama. We see polls on how polarizing he is, how Americans are dissatisfied with his job performance. And the problem for Hillary isn't just her own record that she's got to defend over in the Middle East. It's how do you run promising a change and a break from your own party's administration? Because we know that will anger a lot of Democrats. It will anger the Obama White House. So that's a challenge for her, and she's got to think, does she really want it? Is she up to that challenge? And we also know, too, there's still no love loss between Barack Obama and the Clintons, and he would definitely want to see someone else succeed him on the Democratic side. <laughs> so the, uh, the the die is cast for it to be a House of Kardashian uh, setting for the, uh, for the left. Elizabeth Warren is a name that a lot of people hear about. She runs on economic populism, uh, also known as Focahontas, because she's lied about um, uh, Native American descent. Uh, she's got major problems. She's more to the left than Obama, some would say. Obama she's actually... She's got major problems in a general election, not in a Democratic primary, because what we have to realize, just as we hear all the time about how the Republican Party has moved further to the right, the Democratic Party has moved further to the left. That's why Hillary lost the nomination in 2008. That's why right now Elizabeth Warren is the darling of these Democrats. We've heard over and over again the Obama White House would love to see her be the nominee. Uh, during the State of the Union, I counted the number of times the cameras panned on Elizabeth Warren during that speech. She got more attention than any of the other uh, people mentioned as a potential candidate in 2016. And finally, all this talk about these draft Elizabeth Warren groups that she says she knows nothing about, look, <laughs> that doesn't happen in presidential politics. The most famous draft movements in presidential politics were 1940, Wendell Wilkie, 1952, Dwight Eisenhower, and guess what? Behind the scenes, both of those candidates were directing and telling those draft people what to do. The same happens with Elizabeth Warren. There is no way that these draft movements are going on organizing in <laughs> Iowa, New Hampshire, without her yeah. silent approval 
and a wink wink from her yeah yeah i mean i i'm, I'm pretty sure she's on the uh, uh the silent partner if you will of the hey uh if you guys would like to set up a pack that has drafts elizabeth warren i wouldn't argue with you it's got to be what she's saying oh exactly <laughs> and she's yet to issue that shermanesque statement that if elected i will not if nominated i will not run if elected i will not serve look she's testing the waters right now but everyone's waiting to see what hillary clinton's doing now the best thing that could happen for republicans is hillary delays and then announces she's not running because the democrats really don't have a plan b you'd probably go to elizabeth warren or martin o'malley the former governor of maryland but none of these guys are really considered serious candidates and it would be even harder for them than hillary to try to promise a break and a change in administration. <laughs> so what is what? So so let's say right now it's Hillary Clinton versus Elizabeth Warren is the uh, the front runners. Is there any way that Elizabeth Warren would say is the, is their dream ticket Clinton Warren? Two women. Uh, it might be to some Democrats. I don't see that happening. Okay. I don't think Democrats would want to risk two females on the ticket. And I think a lot of Democrats would rather see the ticket reversed that you named anyway, Warren Clinton. <laughs> well, uh, or, okay, but so you don't see any way Clinton Warren, do you see her, uh, the mayor of San Antonio, who's a Latino that's gotten, that's pretty popular and uh, very eloquent and uh, pretty pretty good politician. I can't think of it. Castro, I think his name's Castro, actually. It is. Or his <laughs> brother, who's a cabinet secretary right now in the Obama administration. Okay, so yes, yeah, the Castro brothers, which that's that's going to be a lot of fun, actually. To, uh, to it is, <laughs> but I see it more likely to be uh, if Hillary's the nominee. I see it more likely to be Martin O'Malley, the former governor of Maryland. He's bland; he doesn't do anything, but he's not also a potential rival that Hillary's got to be looking behind her shoulders every now and then. Gotcha. So it's, uh, I mean, it, and that's one thing that I think is being overlooked right now. I do not think that this, I mean, I think it's Hillary's to lose right now, the Ready for Hillary pack. Uh, her name ID is obviously way up there. She may not be 100% with the left, but I will say it, politically, the left doesn't seem to, to engage in the circular firing squad. They will look and they will have a vigorous debate, but then they will support their nominee. Clinton versus Obama was an extremely oh, uh, competitive Republicans race. Republicans are more pure. And Republicans are the ones, well, my guy didn't win. I can't support this Mormon Romney guy. So that's, that's my frustration on our side is we, you know, regardless of whether Romney ha- had some skeletons from in his closet from a conservative standpoint, you combine him with a very conservative House right now and, um, you know, a far more conservative Senate than we've had in a long time, and we would be doing some great things for this country. But instead, we have Obama willing to shut down Homeland Security to protect illegal aliens in this country. Oh, no, I agree totally on that. But that's always been the problems with the Republicans. And the other problem, and I hope we correct it this time around, Republicans play too clean. Democrats, you've got to give them credit. They'll use street tactics. They'll use anything they want. Republicans might cry foul, but then they don't do anything about it. And that goes all the way back to 1960 and on. It was the same with the Romney campaign. There were reports of uh, voter irregularities in Ohio, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Florida, and what did Republicans do? Nothing. In Florida, in fact, too, with the early voting, uh, Governor Scott was maintaining that 
the polls would close at the time that it was designated according to the law. Mm-hmm. The Romney campaign went along with uh, the Democrats about extending early voting hours. Mm. Well, I will say I do remember the Swift Boat campaign. You, yeah, the Swift Boat campaign, but that was one of the few times that we really saw Republicans mm-hmm. fight like that. And, I mean, we actually won when we when we did fight like that, which uh, we clearly see that... Uh, John Kerry is, um, I'm a little worried about him being the Secretary of State now, too. Having him and Obama kind of running the international well, I mean, it's, show. It's is, a recipe made for disaster and for appeasement. <laughs> it's and a, we're already seeing I mean, that. it's kind of like... And talking about presidential candidates, John Kerry did say, never say never. Hey, you know, I would love to see him pop back out there. Though. A, a, a Massachusetts liberal or wherever he's wherever he lives now to avoid taxes on his yacht. Um Oh, it's Massachusetts. Uh, it he just Massa- got fined for not shoveling his uh, the snow outside of his home. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, David, thank you for calling in. Uh, wow, we went uh, 25, almost 30 minutes with this segment. But I did. I just kind of thought about getting your perspective on the Democrat side. We talk about Republicans so much. But, you know, let's have a little fun with the left. And um, I, I think that that's going to be a very entertaining grab-your-popcorn watch as well. So uh, it's going to oh, be I an exciting too. year coming up. Uh, again, the, the presidential candidates on the Republican side are making rounds in Georgia. Oh, what do you – I guess the, if we met, move to this SEC primary, which – Secretary of State Brian Kemp wants to do. What impact will that? Will that help a Jeb Bush? Will that help a Walker? What? Who it will you... help a Jeb Bush, a Walker. It will help the better funded candidates. <clears throat> okay. So basically, the or, the folks that have an organization and national name ID will have be the national money. Have the national organization. It will help them. And the reason I say that is, we've seen these regional primaries in the past. And, yeah, you might have a lot of momentum coming out of Iowa or New Hampshire, but if you don't have the money for TV advertising for these regional primaries, you get slaughtered. It's done. And that way, and I like it because we're not kowtowing to people who win New Hampshire, which gives us these uh, squishy mods like John McCain. So, uh. Well, that, and Greg, I'll tell you, too, if I were a conservative, and I, a Scott Walker, say, and I win in Iowa, what I would do is bypass New Hampshire and concentrate on South Carolina. That's the problem that some of these conservatives, going back to Huckabee in 2008, have made. They've concentrated on New Hampshire because they are fixated on it. Yep. Instead, you concentrate on South Carolina. A true conservative is not going right. to win in New Hampshire. And, be, and that, that would be what I call strategic. Of course, you want to win Iowa, skip New Hampshire, go all in in the Deep South. I like it. Thank you, David, for calling in. And thank you guys for listening to Greg's List. The show thank always you. goes on here. We are not stopped by inclement weather or the left. And uh, we will see you all same time next week, 2 p.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.